Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the University of Applied Research and Development. This is our video cast, and I'm really honored to have Dr. Jackson Lee, who is the disaster preparedness uh, expert at Four Paws and also leads global policy. Dr. Jackson, great to have you with us. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you for having me. I'm delighted to have it. Look, I was in Indonesia in 2018 when the earthquake hit, and Four Paws responded to that situation. And I'd just love for you to introduce Four Paws and what you do and how you came to be there. Over to you. All right. Um, a quick introduction to Four Paws. Uh, Four Paws is a international animal protection organization, charity, uh, with its headquarters based in Austria. Um, and it has offices around the world um, um, all around the world, um, and I guess the closest office to you would be in Sydney. Um, as an animal protection organization, they work on many different aspects, um, from the welfare of farm animals to uh, humane management of stray animals and the, and the protection of wild animals. I am able to focus on a specific area, um, a specialty around um, disaster preparedness and resilience. It's the evolution of our program that started as a disaster relief and response unit um, and currently it's evolved into preparedness and resilience um, as, a better, as a better way to engage the community, find a more sustainable solution to helping people and animals. Um, so that's the introduction to Four Paws. Um, you can find them online. It's a uh, four, just spell out four dash paws, P A W S dot org. And there's a lot more information about that organization. Um, about uh, myself. <laughs> um, so my background is um, I am a veterinarian. Um, and have a background in conservation science. Um, with Four Paws, I lead the disaster preparedness and resilience work as well as the global policy and advocacy. Um, the global policy and advocacy component really looks at the United Nations framework for um, policies and regulations or conventions and resolutions that really surround the importance of animals and animal welfare to our survival and human development around the world. For us, it's intricately linked through a concept called one welfare. Um, so human well-being and animal welfare, as well as environmental um, health is all intricately linked. Um, and we see it as a holistic um, system that one will impact the other. So it's important mm -hmm. to have good human welfare is to have good animal welfare um, and vice versa. And you know how we treat the environment is incredibly important in that uh, triangle. So um, we work on this. We believe it's important because we believe to work just on animals is simply the end result of a long chain of events. And to address the cause of the problems is to really address human behavior change issues um, and values in human communities. So with respect to 
all communities and cultures, we try to take that into account so that we can find a more reasonable and sustainable solution um, so that we're not interfering from wherever we're from, that the communities themselves have those ideals already in their cultures to really take on the responsibility of caring for their own environments and ensure their own survival. So how did you become interested in, in working in this area? I mean, I'm an animal lover since being a young boy, had, had animals living in our home and always you know, enjoyed them being part of our family. But you've actually made it your mission, your job, your vocation. How did you become interested? <laughs> um, animals were uh, definitely um, one of those early interests and uh not just interest, really, but it's a first love. Um, but growing up in New York City, access to wildlife and animals was quite limited. <laughs> so I segued through um, opportunities at as internships, trying to work with animals, and eventually I ended up um, becoming an intern at um, a public aquarium mm, in wow. New York. Um, and through that experience, working with the public, explaining the importance of um, the ecosystem and the animals within it, um, developing a passion for that and explaining and teaching and sharing, it kind of grew. <laughs> Unexpectedly, did not expect to end up in any industry at the time. Um, but yeah, I was quite fortunate to end up in and do what I currently do. Many people have said, oh, I would like to do what you do. And I said, that's fantastic. But none of this was planned. <laughs> um, so that's how I started. Um, yeah. And uh, eventually opportunities came along, working for various um, organizations or companies. And I was able to reach beyond the limitations of being in New York City uh, started in uh, the Caribbean and Central and South America, uh, early in my career working as a research assistant um, with other skill sets. Um, so I developed skill sets as a paramedic um, and some other things. So being mm. the biolo biological side, I did saying, I have additional skill sets I can save you. So please take me along as your assistant, please. Um, <laughs> I can count just like anyone else. Um, I can do grids, you know, um, just learning those skills and trying to make right. myself laterally more valuable to researchers that would have a willing uh, intern to uh, assist with the work. Wow. Now, for me, you know, I'm thinking about animals and when there's, when there's fireworks, we bring our cats inside and we pull the curtains and we shut the doors and we put on the TV to make sure the loud noises don't disturb them and they can be calm and safe and okay. But I've never really thought about animals in a disaster. Can you give us an idea of the scale of the problem and the types of issues that animals deal with? Yes, absolutely. Um, so animals, depending on where you are in the world, um, the civil protection or whatever government agency that is responsible for the protection of people and property during disasters, um, they 
consider animals to be property, assets. Um, they do not account for them being alive or dead, in fact. Um, and it makes it incredibly challenging since animals are living beings who happen to be assets in this particular context. Um, and they have the ability to suffer. Mm. So the challenge therein is if a rescuer is there and says, well, okay, I have to take the child and the mom and the family away from this flood. Great. But I can't take the dog or the cat because there's no room. It's like, hmm. but you're willing to save the car, which isn't alive. So it seems to be slightly odd and something's not quite right. So one of the things that we're doing is to try to make sure that living things like animals are included in the national disaster legislation, whatever the framework is, because they are living beings, living things, right. um, that they should actually be classified in a different category that's more similar to people, and that we're not seeing that they are above people or there's a trade. It's that we have seen that when a farmer loses his oxen, water buffalo, he's not able to till the fields or recover quick enough. When an elderly lady loses her cat, she's rather distraught and um, she does isn't able to get her pet for us, but to her, probably more family, um, she has longer term secondary sort of psychological costs to society as well as the higher potential for suicide is what we're learning um so it's it's a greater issue than simply it's just an animal um it's a huge issue for things like uh, biosecurity um food security water security um these issues are not as simple as we portray them to be or would like them to be um we all appreciate it i believe and we all are concerned and what is the best way forward so inclusion of animals into disaster legislation is one step forward in the consideration of animals within disaster so that there's a plan for animals Mm. ultimately for the owners is you live in an area know what your hazards are and you have a choice of do i stay or do i leave ultimately so if i stay what do i need to stay for how long and if i leave where do i go and what do i need to take with me so to ensure my own safety with my family including my animals Um, and we would ask people to monitor people who are horse owners they love their horses horses are fantastic animals but horses take time to load into a trailer and they Mm. take time to transport because they have special criteria or needs so um be prepared in advance and it's i know it's a pain but it's easier to be prepared and leave earlier and have nothing happen as opposed to having something happen and not have left and then being in a worse position i just want to go back to the indonesian example Um, yes you know, people in Indonesia that I've seen, and particularly outside of the urban areas, they may have a range of different animals. Um, but when a disaster hits, they don't actually have the 
the equipment or the infrastructure to help an animal to travel. If the human stays, um, it could be life-threatening. If they try to take the animal with them, the infrastructure that keeps the animal safe, the owner safe, the other people around them safe. I'm thinking about a horse that I um, saw on the video um, yeah. of that situation when Four Paws responded and gave medical care to a horse that had been hurt by another horse during the drama. Can you give us an example of some of the ways that you've helped communities to prepare in this way? Yes. Um, so we intervene at the request of either a local charity on the ground or um, the local government to assist with unsafe conditions that are related to animals. So in this particular case, in the 2018 earthquake in Indonesia, um, we were asked to assist um, on in a few different uh, islands. Um, massive earthquake causing a lot of problems the community that lived on these islands, since it's remote, um, on an island that has no natural source of water, um, people were quite afraid of a tsunami since the previous uh, massive tsunami in the region. Um, so they all left and they weren't sure what to do with the animals. And some of them had, uh, some of the animals had escaped because the structures that they were in had collapsed. Um, and other people had just let the animals loose. So they had an ability to escape potentially whatever bad things were going to happen. Mm. So they have a chance of survival. The problem lies in between um, where animals are loose on a small island. And there's a lot of animals. And what we're specifically talking about on the island is we're talking about <clears throat> somewhere around 400 stallions, ponies, <laughs> and probably about a handful, about 10 female mares on this island. And three of the mares are in heat. <laughs> so the males are running around to the dark, chasing the females and killing each other, just running. People are on this island. Still, the ones who remained cannot see the animals. There is no electricity. There's no fuel, there's no water, and um, animals are just running around in the dark because they're afraid. Um, what we do is we intervene, we work with the government, we identify where the animals are, we help round up the animals, secure them, uh, build temporary stalls, um, paddocks, um, and if we don't have access to those, we tether animals to trees because there are so many animals and we want to keep them in a close confine. Mm. Um, our vets come in, we, we examine all of the animals to make sure that they are not injured. We separate animals that could be potentially causing problems. Like our females, our mares, we separate them from the stallions. So hopefully they aren't causing the stallions to go crazy. Um, in doing so, we're providing a public safety service. Mm. So walking around in the dark, not seeing, or you're hearing as hoofs, you might be trampled. 
Yeah. We don't want that. We really just don't want that. So that's one. Two, animals, unfortunately, um, running around in the dark, they cannot see and they're afraid. And some mm. of the horses, unfortunately, fell into wells. Mm. Um, these are not uh, potable water, so they're not exactly drinking it. They're, they're for other things. However, they're still a source of water, and we do not want that be that to be tainted by a dead animal. Um, that it could be useful for the recovery of the island. So oh, removing sorry. carcasses. Um, but then there were other animals on the island. So other than horses, there were many cats. There were a bunch of wildlife, um, some dogs. Um, people did not have access to logistics. So there was no market. There was no supplies. So some of the challenges were getting basic supplies enough for the people as well as for the animals. And that was a huge component of bringing food onto the island. Um, mm. Transporting ill animals off island so they can get proper care if needed. Imagine a pony on a little vessel, and I, I'm, I'm like a canoe <laughs> going across the ocean to the mainland. And I'm not thinking it's not a short journey, it's about an hour or an hour and a half journey on a boat. The horses are accustomed to it, but it's a very strange image because I would never expect a, boat, a horse to board a vessel and travel. <laughs> so yeah, um, that's what we did uh, in, in helping that community in that emergency circumstance. We went back to that community to discuss with them what they can do to better prepare for future disasters like an earthquake. Um, and working with them to develop their own plan of where people should go, what should they do, and um, how do they protect all of the things that they value. Mm. So there's the rounding up and separating the animals and providing health care um, during and straight after. There's the, um, I guess, the sanitation issue seeing the problems that come from the animals that might have been might have been loose and lost their lives. Uh, mm -hmm. The food and transport of animals, making sure that happens safely and the supplies are there. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, the education and the planning, the resiliency, the protection of the animals so that when, it, when and if it happens again, the situation may, may be better for the people and for the animals themselves. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very much, um, I guess, less teaching, um, but more more of a community engagement, um, um, asking many engagement. insightful questions. Um, we don't wish to tell them what to do. We want them to tell us what they think they need. It's the right. buy-in we need from the community because it's a question of sustainability. <clears throat> if it is their idea that they you help lead them to these um, solutions, it's more likely to be maintained after you leave. Right. So we go, we speak with them and um, we constantly just make sure that things are all right and that they are safe and um, monitor the progress of their community plans. I just want to check again. You said a number of horses. 400. 400. Okay, that's a 
That should, that should I've, ne <laughs> I've never worked with 400 stallions on a tiny island ever. <laughs> I don't recommend it. Um, the, first, <laughs> I, I, the first time out there, I can tell you, I was in thongs and walking around not thinking that I should be in boots. <laughs> I should have my reflector jacket with my torch and my helmet with rope. I just thought, what is that noise? Let me go look. And just this massive <laughs> bunch of horses were run past, and I'm mostly just standing against the wall thinking, please don't crush me or kick me. Um, <laughs> not anticipated anywhere in your career. Um, <laughs> um, but I will say the animals are much smarter than I am. And for all the years I work with animals, I continue to learn. And the, the, the mares knew exactly who I was and what I was doing. And they had a pattern. They kept coming around in the same pattern to lure the male to me so I can halter him. Wow, clever. And, and they were incredibly frustrated with me. Poor, poor horses. Um, but they did that so that I could help them and they were asking so I just had to take the time to understand what they were telling me so I can do my job so I and then they the, 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 the girls stayed and they were fine it's just I had to round up all the all the boys and um, move them somewhere else and um, make sure everyone is as safe as possible brilliant in the few moments that we have left, Dr. Jackson, if someone's interested in this area and they're listening to the recording, particularly our students who are actually professionals in emergency management and they're doing our bachelor or master's program, if this has mm. kind of captured their attention and thought, wow, that, that I could be really interested in doing something with that, what's a way that people can reach out to you? And also, um, what's some training or preparation that would be really useful before they volunteered or got involved with what you do? Ah, that's a great question. So um, if you have any questions, please feel free and email me. Uh, my email, um, I guess it will be listed. It's um, Jackson, my name, uh, uh, dot Z, Z-Z-E-E, -E, at 4-pause.org. Um, so that's my email to reach me. One and two, if you're really interested in this, um, there was a wonderful conference, uh, a virtual conference last this past year, um, set up uh, by uh, the Central Queensland University um, and the team there. And it's the uh, Animals and Disaster Management uh, Conference online please join um, you can learn more about it um, there uh, there are many books and documents um, I'm sure that you can find and for more training um, for the technical training if you are a emergency management professional then if you're a technical person there is specific training related to high-low angle uh, swift water slack water um, with animals, and that's with mm -hmm. ITRA, International Technical Rescue Association. They have animal-specific uh, tracks. If you're in emergency management and more on the 
management side, <laughs> as opposed to the hands-on side, um, there is there are quite a few models um, as well as evolutions where you look at the different sections of work, starting with the intervention rescue assessment over to the temporary emergency sheltering to the reunification, rehoming, um, and then sort of the decontamination of this particular uh, exercise. And this is just one cycle. And separate to that, of course, is um, there's the preparedness and the uh, recovery mitigation assessments. Um, there are some wonderful references out there, particularly for livestock with the Sphere Humanitarian um, standards. There's something called Livestock Emergency Guidelines and Standards, the LEGS program. Um, and in the world, there are just a few organizations that still work in this. Um, and uh, I definitely um, recommend looking at all these wonderful groups, um, animal welfare groups that are out there. Um, and depending on where you are, um, sometimes it's a component of your local Red Cross. Right. Yeah. Brilliant. Please don't go anywhere when we um, end the show, Dr. Jackson. I'd like to get a little bit more information just so that I can put it with the show notes so of that course. people can reach out and, and make sure they're connecting with the right information. But yes. I do want to thank you for giving your time. I know you're really busy. I've learned a lot, and I know that our students particularly and those people that are watching the recording will learn a lot from this. So thank you very much for the work you do and giving your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to speak with you. Those of you that are watching the recording, um, do check the show notes out and you can reach out to Dr. Jackson Z as well and get more information if you'd like to volunteer or participate in this really interesting and actually heart-moving part of emergency management. So thank you, Dr. Jackson. And for those of you who work in emergency management, um, as we find many emergency managers, whether you're from oil and gas or from the military or a voluntary sector, you often have a big folder full of certificates and training and you're always upskilling, but you may not have a bachelor degree or a master's degree that actually recognizes that training and gives you credit for it. And so reach out to us, uard.ac.nz or uard.org, and we give recognition and credit for all of your emergency management training and experience and we'd love to help you move forward in your career with an accredited degree so everyone we look forward to seeing you again and um, do share this video with other people that work in emergency management so that they can build their understanding and knowledge of how to respond and care for animals as well thank you again dr jackson <laughs>